Welcome back to Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Mike Keenan. Mike, how's it going, buddy? Um, I'm feeling better after that first podcast, man. I think we did a good job. We met a lot of new friends in the process on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, a lot of good feedback. And I'm excited to keep doing this. Well, having published one episode, how does it feel to be a uh, state-of-the-art podcaster? Uh, I feel excellent, man. I mean, like the all of the um, endorsements are about to come rolling in. We're going to make a lot of money soon. Oh, well, so. I don't want this to go to your head, but I read a couple things online. People are calling us the Joe Rogan of the horror world. That's what everyone's saying. Yeah, just try to, keep right. a, try to keep a good head on your shoulders, okay? Guys, thanks so much for uh, joining us for the first episode. You already know what we're doing. We're counting down the 51 movies of the Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Texas Chainsaw, Scream, and Child's Play movies. In our first episode, we had uh, 10 films. Or was it 11 films? It was 11. The it first was 11 one films. Was, what, yeah, I can't count. Of 51. Yeah, we went from 51 to 41. Today, we're doing 40 to 31. And before we get into that, there are some people we did want to thank. First and foremost, my wife, Chelsea, she basically serves as our unofficial and unpaid producer. Uh, she is much better with technology than me, so she's been helping us get set up and get, get this thing off the ground a little bit. So thank you to Chelsea. She's also a subscriber, and if you haven't subscribed, you should. Um, but I also want to thank Christian Hotstetler. He is a longtime friend of mine. He's a kick-ass graphic designer, and he designed our corn syrup logo from scratch and we received nothing but compliments so thank you very much job. to christian and also um a quick shout out to our friends at the they're terrified and tipsy podcast i reached out to those ladies last week looking for help they had only released a handful of episodes and i saw that they had a bunch of twitter followers and mike and i just didn't know where to begin with getting the twitter account off the ground so i reached out for help um, they linked us up with some other podcast creators, and lo and behold, we are now part of a very small but very tight-knit podcast community, and our Twitter followers have skyrocketed. Our exposure has skyrocketed. So thank you so much again to the girls at the their Terrified and Tipsy podcast. Great podcast, by the way. It's a very well-done podcast, too, so any tips we can get from them, we're, we're going to take and run with it. I don't want to sound like a podcast nerd, but very, very clean audio on that podcast, and they make it very fun. So, I don't want to take up too much time here, man. Let's let's get back into our rankings with number 40, and I'll preface it by saying some of these movies are of the guilty pleasure variety, similar to where we left off with Friday the 13th Part 5, A New Beginning at 41, and some of these movies we don't, I wouldn't call them a guilty pleasure, but they're well done. They, you know, they've, they've done enough stylistically from a directorial standpoint and everything like that to warrant being in this range. We definitely ended, I'd say, 40, 43 to 41 were guilty pleasure movies. I think so. Um, in our last rankings. Um, don't get me wrong. These are still pretty bad movies that we're about to cover today. I think as we get towards the low 30s, we're going to have a lot more better things to say about these movies. The first few are pretty rough. This next one for me number uh, 40. This, this for me is a pretty big guilty pleasure too. And I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that this is probably top 10 in terms of most viewed for me out of these 51. I've just seen this movie so many times going back to when I was a little kid. It is uh, the third worst installment by our estimation of the Friday the 13th franchise. And that is Jason Takes Manhattan. Mike, and I know you just recently rewatched this movie with your girlfriend. What did you what did you guys walk away thinking after watching it? It was probably my fortieth the fiftieth time watching this movie. It's always seems to be on uh AMC during Fear Fest. It's a bad movie. Don't get me wrong. It sucks. There's not a lot of great things about this movie. One of the few bright spots that carries this movie is Kane Hodder as Jason. And the thing about this movie is you get a lot of Jason. Yeah. That's what the people want. Um, this is definitely the worst movie to feature Jason in the Friday the 13th series. There's Jason Goes to Hell, Jason Harley in that. Uh, part 5, Jason is not the killer. This movie is all Jason. Kane Hodder does have a cool look in this movie. Things I really like about this movie, I, I love that one shot of him pulling himself onto the boat. There's actually right. some cool shots in this movie in general, like that one, for example. And then when they first arrive, they finally arrive in New York, and he sees the billboard with the hockey mask. Right. And then, of course, you get that 
I don't want to say famous, but to me, it's a famous shot of him actually standing in Manhattan with the bright lights in the right background. In Times Square. Yeah, Times Square. There you go. But yeah, I mean, th- this movie was obviously poorly marketed. It's called Jason Takes Manhattan when really it should have been Jason on a boat. Yeah, exactly. But I still give it credit for doing something a little bit different because you do get away from Camp Crystal Lake. I don't want to defend it too much. It's not a good movie, but it is a guilty pleasure. So there's obviously some things I do like about it. This movie was made on a $5 million budget, which for that franchise is really big. Um, It was the biggest budget of any movie up to that point. Fans didn't come out to see it, though. It only brought in $14 million at the box office, which is one of the lowest. And the main reason why we got Jason Goes to Hell as the next movie, just to change the whole studio, uh, change the studios and go back to something different. Uh, critics hated this movie. Got an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's the lowest of these 51, I think? I, so far, and I imagine it's going to be the lowest, yeah, right. of all 51. Audience score 27%, which, you know, I don't expect it to be under 10% because fans, I know it's not just us to find this as a guilty pleasure. It's easy to watch. So, uh, let, I mean, let's talk about what we don't like about it. Um, the final girl kind of sucks. Her name is Rennie. There's these weird visions that she has of Jason as a young boy. It just really serves absolutely no purpose. Um, and again, Jason is really, they don't arrive until to New York until there's 40 minutes left in the right. movie. So it's really not Jason Takes Manhattan. And unfortunately, once they do arrive in New York or quote unquote Manhattan, the movie really loses a lot of steam. It does. Um, it's cool to see Jason kill some crackheads. Fun to watch. And of course, we get uh, both of our favorite scene with Julius on the rooftop and with Jason. The fight scene there is uh, really well done with no music in the background. But if, if that's what the whole movie was hyped up to in like the Newark scenes, uh, it just falls really flat. You know, with with a lesser Jason, if, if Kane Hodder doesn't play Jason in this movie, this is a terrible, terrible movie. Right. I mean, it might be worse than Jason Goes to Hell, and I know that sounds a little crazy, but I think, I think Kane Hodder's appearance... And just his aggressiveness and his ability to play a great Jason really saves this movie because there are some good kills. Like we said, Julius getting his head knocked mm-hmm. clean off and then it falls into a dumpster is is always great. Um, the kill in the sauna when they're still on the boat, when he puts the hot coals mm-hmm. inside the guy's chest, that's pretty sweet. That's a pretty unique kill that has, hadn't been done and hasn't been done since, I don't think. And then there's the part where he kills the principal, whose name is escaping me. I believe it's Charles. He, he kills. He was a shitty character. He was so a shitty character. see him get killed. Do you know what I thought about Charles? He kind of reminded me of Dr. Cruz from Part 7. Right. You know, like a mm-hmm. like a, like a shitty father figure mm-hmm. type, but he's not really a father. He's just overprotective. Right. So it was already done a film prior, and that character was actually done better. But Charles' death in this movie, when Jason picks him up and he uh, he drowns him in the nasty New York sewage, and there's like a rat floating in the water, I always thought that was kind of a cool kill. Outside of the kills here, it's it's a letdown just from a marketing standpoint, and I think that's ultimately why critics absolutely hated it. Because I do think this movie still did a few things that were different and unique to the franchise, and so to me, it's always been a little bit fun. Once they get into that sewer... In the, in the final act, the final it's 10 awful. or 15 minutes, it's it's genuinely one of the most, I think it's one of the worst moments of the entire franchise. Right. Um, one thing I did notice about this movie, I don't know if you would agree with me or not, I feel like this is the first movie in the franchise where Jason's actually the main character. You get, like, the carriage, or the camera just follows him around most of the movie. You see his face from the very start of the movie to the very end, uh... It might do in part because the final girl is nothing special. There's no Tommy Jarvis in this movie. But in this, it just feels like Jason is the main character. And do, you, do you like that about the movie? I do. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the positives about it. Because it's hotter. Was he the first? Was, so this was his second time this playing was his, Jason. This was his second. He was the first actor to have done that, right? Yeah. And you can tell he, you know, and he would go on to play Jason two other times after this. Right. Very small role and Jason goes to hell. But right. yeah, he, like, he played him four times. And like we like we said last podcast, we wish it was five because he should have got a crack at Freddy versus Jason. He should have, um, but that's that's another story for a different day. And there uh, was a reason why he wasn't casted, and we'll definitely get into that. It's it's not bad. It's not poorly done from a stylistic standpoint. There's a couple scenes on the boat that look cool, and again, Kane Hodder looks great. It's just. I think in the long run, when you're putting it up against some of these better Friday the 13th installments, there's just not enough here to really to have it ranked any higher than where we have it right here. Right. Um, and agree. again, the marketing for this movie was a complete sham. 
And yeah, movie posters had it seem like, all right, this is going to be Jason in Times Square for 90 minutes. Yeah. I mean, this this movie was shot in Vancouver, let's be honest. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was shot in Vancouver and then a little bit of New York to, toward the end. And ultimately, I think it really suffers because of that. But again, some great kills and Kane Hodder's excellent as always. But let's move on. Let's wrap up that movie. Let's move on to our number 39th ranked movie. This is what we believe to be the third worst installment of our favorite franchise. And if you watched the first episode, you know that to be Halloween. And this is the sixth installment of the series, and it is The Curse of Michael Myers. So there's two different versions of this movie. I've actually never seen the producer's cut. I grew up watching... I guess you would call it the theatrical cut, mm-hmm. um, and I just rewatched it maybe a few weeks or so ago. This movie's really not that bad up until the third act, and then it just really goes off the rails. I do think it's a slight um, improvement on part five, mainly because of the first couple acts, and because it's it's actually pretty dark, whereas part five was just goofy and campy, and you couldn't take it seriously at all. It was campy and on the wrong ways. This movie is actually pretty dark, and Michael has some really cool kills. Michael also looks significantly better. He's portrayed, again, by George P. Wilbur in this, mm-hmm. which was the same Michael from part four which is a great Michael. So he looks much better in this than he looked in part five. But again, that third act is just a train wreck. I mean, what do you think about this movie? For some reason, they decided to carry on with the Man in Black storyline, and that was their biggest fault. For this movie, it's all about the storyline. It's somewhat, I don't want to say it's well-made, because the editing is very choppy. Tell it was rushed. You can tell they didn't really have a plan when they made this movie, but somehow it's not terrible. And for them to pull that off... uh, I'll give them a little bit of credit. Uh, Critics hated it. This had a 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, so that's the second lowest of the 51 movies. I mean, I think people were just super tired of this franchise at that Mm -hmm. point. Well, a lot of lot of uh, sequel fatigue, I yeah. think, was setting in around this time. And and this is a movie. Um, Halloween Five came out in '89. This came out in '95. So there was a six year gap to you know like let this franchise breathe. Yeah. Yet they still come out tired storyline of the Man in Black. Big failure there. I'll say this. I mean, they had a pretty big mess to clean up after Part Five. And again, Mustafa Akkad, who was uh, one of the godfathers of this franchise, who didn't want to proceed with Jamie Lloyd being the killer after part four heading into five again he didn't want to stray from this man in black cult of thorn this jamie it's lloyd just, just storyline story oh my god it's so bad but yeah i mean he just didn't want to stray from it you know jamie lloyd is killed in the first 10 minutes but also it's not played by daniel harris so you don't really feel an attachment to the character anymore anyway she was asking for $5,000 to reprise her role as Jamie Lloyd, and the studio said no. That's kind of strange. Uh, $5,000, I think I have that under my, my mattress. And, you know, <laughs> no, you don't. I don't. But <laughs> this movie was made on a $5 million budget, and you know, for $5,000 to bring back um, Danielle Harris, who Halloween fans, I think, universally love, oh, yeah. would have, and just having her as Jamie Lloyd is something that would have made this movie even a little bit better. I don't know why they didn't bring her back over measly money, but... What do you think about um, Paul Rudd in this movie? Because this is a pretty bizarre performance. Well, you texted me uh, last week and said, how bad is Paul Rudd in this movie? It's it's his first movie, so, we, you know, he's not going to be... I think he's actually great. credited as Paul Stephen Rudd, something yeah, like along those huh? lines. Yeah. So uh, the reason I texted you is because we went in pretty hard on McConaughey and, Zell- and Zellweger last yeah. week for um, their roles in Met the Next Generation, mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw. But you and I love Paul Rudd yeah, probably even more than McConaughey just because he made a lot of the comedies that we grew up on like in our um, early early to late high school, even into college. So we're, Anchorman, Knocked Up, yeah, everything. I love you, man. Yeah, we're, we're big Paul Rudd fans. So to go back and watch this performance, it's it's very bad. It, right. It's almost a little hard to believe that he actually well, very became, sh- a, became a very good actor. And strange because he still looks exactly the same. He I has not aged. I don't think he's aged one day. No. Nah, that's good for him. But his his mannerisms, his facial expressions, his delivery of the dialogue. And it's not I, I guess like- he's trying to be like a cryptic character, but it really just comes off really, really poorly. But let's talk about the third act, The what I'll call... A, a twist in the movie. I mean, it's really the lack thereof of a twist. It's not a twist that hits home at all. But so the the man in black is revealed to be uh, 
Terrence Wynn, who had a very brief appearance in the original 1978 Halloween. I don't know why this movie or the writers or the filmmakers thought that we gave two shits about this guy right. or even that we would remember him. Yeah, uh, like, and now here he's like supposed to be one of the turning points of the franchise. It's uh, I don't get it. Yeah, there's not one Halloween fan that was like, oh, I was expecting him to come back. Dr. Wynn, it was such a big part in Halloween 1. I've he seen, has that brief scene where uh, they're talking about how Michael Myers learned to drive. I've seen, ha- I've seen Halloween a million times, and I... I you I, you had to go back and be like... I just think about who he was, right. Because there's that scene in the, toward the beginning of Curse where I guess he visits um, Dr. Loomis in his house. And Dr. Loomis is like, oh, good to see you, Win. I'm like, wait, who is this guy? Yeah, it's it's weird. And then Mrs. Blankenship is, is in the cult. Big plot twist right there. I, I just don't know why they thought that we would care about these characters. It, it, it's a weird movie with a bunch of weird roles. Like I said, some good kills, though. The 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 kill of uh, the stepfather in this movie mm-hmm. is awesome. Yes. I mean, the it's probably whole... t- top ten in the franchise for me. I agree. Uh, the whole Strode family has some really good deaths in this movie. Really good chase scene with Kara and Danny when they're inside the uh, Myers house and they're going back to Paul Rudd's house. Great chase scene. Um, it is kind of ruined with the rock music. And, you know, there's like rock, like a lot of rock and roll heavy theme in this movie, which I don't understand. Oh, I don't think they play the Halloween theme once in this movie. Am I wrong about that? Uh, if you watch the producer's cut, they play the Halloween movie uh, okay. in the theatrical. The yeah, it's all just covered up with rock music, shitty '90s rock music, bad rock music. Yeah. yeah, a lot of movies were doing it back then. This movie definitely delved into that pretty deep. And also, I'll say this: I know they tried bringing a a child actor back into the mix here. It's almost like it almost felt as though they were trying to reclaim the magic that Jamie Lloyd brought into this. Right. I will say this: Danny Stewart is no Jamie Lloyd. Not at all. You don't really. You just don't care. Right. I don't think he even has enough lines for you to, you know, and he's kind of a weirdo in, in, you know, from the start to end. So it's, they don't really explain why he's being followed by this man in black. It just doesn't do it for me. It has some decent tone, you know, like it, it does kind of feel like a Halloween movie. There's a couple shots of leaves on the ground outside of the Myers house and there's trick or treaters. This was the only Halloween movie to actually be filmed in fall. Most no of them way. are usually uh, shot in the summer or even winter time on on the west coast huh. this was actually filmed during the fall so maybe that's why it has that i like that yeah there was a couple shots of like i said the myers house and and the, their entire grass was like dampened with leaves and mm-hmm. actually that made me feel like i was watching a halloween movie one more good thing about this uh i don't really think it's on purpose so this is kind of a weird thing to say but i think dr loomis was actually pretty good in this now, he he died eight months prior to its release, so he was really running on fumes at this point. And you can see it. But because he's more restrained because of his age, he's much better in this than he is in Part 5 because he's not, he's not batshit crazy. Right. Part 5 was probably him at his worst. Mm-hmm. Curse is definitely not him at his best, but he toned it down maybe it's an improvement because he had his, to tone down. It's an improvement on the Part 5 Loomis, I think. Right. Yeah, he. Um, I think that's also why the ending is kind of muddled and messy because uh, Doctor Loomis died while they were um, editing this film, and that's why there were so many different endings to this movie, and that's why the ending doesn't really even make sense. Uh, he had passed away, and it's kind of a shame that this was, you know, his last movie in the franchise. Yeah, but it's better than it being part five. Agreed. All right, man. Let's move on. Let's move on to thirty-eight. Thirty-eight. So we are moving on. We are finally reaching a franchise that we have not talked about yet. We haven't. This is easily the worst installment of the Scream franchise, a franchise that for the most part is a whole heck of a lot of fun. I don't think you'll find any Scream fan that will put up a fight in terms of Scream 3 not being the worst. This movie, it's weird that it was directed by Wes Craven. He had an opportunity to make a really badass trilogy. Parts 1 and 2 were fantastic. And then this movie, he fell apart, and the franchise really fell apart. It was a really disappointing third entry. This movie, I mean, what do you think is the biggest problem with this movie? I want to get your opinion, and I'll give you my opinion. This is the biggest movie of the franchise in terms of budget. It's cost $40 million to make. $40 million for a slasher movie is really unheard of. This movie costs $25 million more to make than Scream 1. Wow. And uh, $16 million more than Scream 2. So bigger isn't always better, yep. especially with this movie. And like you watch the movie, it's like, 
where did that money even go? Nev Campbell was only on set for 20 days of this movie. And you can see it. There's a lot of scenes where she's laying back and everyone, you know, this movie definitely focuses more on Dewey and uh, Courtney Cox's character, the secondary characters. Maybe that's where the money went. I mean, were Courtney Cox and David Arquette demanding more money? Maybe all that money went on that technology, that stupid technology, the voice changing. <laughs> Gotta be one of the stupidest things, not just in the Scream franchise, but in slasher movie history. I think if nothing else, it would it would warrant the number 38 spot for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. So just to um, elaborate a little bit, there's this technology where they're using a voice recorder, but it's mimicking somebody else's voice. That technology doesn't exist in 2020. It sure it's not hell. going to exist in, 20, in 200 years. No, and this was made in 2000 when people were still just freaking learning how to use a computer. So that... You know, it, it's just so silly. Um, it's an incredibly lazy device just to get these people like in in the same room often throughout this movie um, and to get certain characters killed. For example, it got Cotton Weary killed in the first act. I think where the movie really suffers, and I, I don't know, I'll, I'll see what you think about this, but they took... So, so one and two, it's a, the crimes are occurring against high school students. Especially the first one, they're at a high school party. That's really where a lot of the kills occur. And I just think that's more fun um, and interesting. And it lends itself to the slasher idea a little bit more versus now he's go- uh, Ghostface is going after adult actors. Actors, yeah. Like Hollywood in, actors. In Hollywood. The scene of Hollywood, by the way, is just not as good either. I just don't like this. I don't like the setting. I don't like the characters. It's very cheesy when they go onto sets and he's chasing her through... You know, uh, her old house, basically, but it's just an on-set house. All the fake props used in this movie, uh, it's... I don't know if they're trying to poke fun of Hollywood movies in this. I mean, that's kind of what the Scream franchise was built on. This is also easily the worst Ghostface. Ghostface reveal of the Roman. reveal is, is who, terrible, man. Who it's, is the director that we met, like, one or two times in the movie prior and again you find his dead body uh courtney cox finds his body and she checks his pulse and he's dead going and, and going back to what i said about curse i just don't know why this movie thought we would care about this character i mean he was a nothing character so when you when he reveals himself to be Ghostface, you just don't give a shit you kind of roll your eyes a little bit and of course, he's Sydney's half brother, which is always like the lazy cliche of the family inclusion in these slasher movies, right. the, the bad ones anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely the worst and least interesting ghost face. It's the it's the it's the worst and least interesting setting. The violence in this movie is, t- is uh, toned down a lot. Now that's largely because of Columbine. The Columbine tragedy had occurred just a few months prior to when they first started shooting. So I know they had to make a lot of edits to the script and everything like that. So that's not totally Wes Craven's fault. But as a result, the movie digs a lot more into comedy. By the way, you want to talk about a um, a 90s soundtrack. I know, this, I know this came out in 2000, but I was looking it up on Wikipedia. The, sound, the soundtrack to this movie has Creed, Slipknot, Godsmack, Fuel. Remember the band Fuel? Oh, yeah, of course. And System of a Down. Oh, that's I mean, if this if this movie didn't come out, I mean, I could have told you this movie came out in 2000. The side characters are good. Uh, there's Patrick Warburton, everyone loves. Uh, Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, it's got some familiar faces. I forgot about Patrick Dempsey in there. Patrick Dempsey, yeah, he's uh, pretty good. It's not, it's not awful. It's by no means anywhere near good. I think uh, you can always rely on the Scream franchise to be fun, I hope. Right. Once these movies stop being fun, that's when the franchise really hits a new low. This movie is still kind of fun. Moving on to number 37 in our rankings is the 2007 Rob Zombie Halloween remake. This is very much a Rob Zombie movie, so it depends how you feel about Rob Zombie. I mean, he's certainly far from my favorite director. I think he's done some interesting things stylistically, but he has this never-ending penchant to create despicable characters and put gore over substance and that's that's not that's not traditionally the type of horror movie that i like and therefore i'm just not a big fan of either of these rob zombie halloween movies what do you think mike his characters definitely suck and most of them being michael myers family members 
shitty stepfather, stripper for a mother. Not that there's anything wrong with being a stripper. Uh, he's bullied on at school. Yeah, you don't, uh, you don't, you don't want to alienate a, a certain demographic right, of exactly. the podcast. I know that's a big fan base of ours. <laughs> I apologize. His family sucks. He's bullied at school. All this leads to somebody being a, a, a serial killer. And that's not Michael Myers. What makes Michael Myers so evil is that it's random and comes out of nowhere. Um, this is kind of, well, of course he's going to be a killer the way he's been treated as a child. What do you think? Um, yeah, so in the first five mo- the first five minutes of this movie, you're introduced to Ronnie, who um, is the boyfriend of Deborah Myers and... Of all the bad characters that Zombies ever written, this guy might take the cake. You're introduced to, again, Deborah Myers as a stripper. You're introduced to the bullies in the bathroom who bully Michael relentlessly. You're introduced to his sister, Judith, who teases him about his hamster dying. This is this is all in the first five, literally the first five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, I just, I, I don't like that about Zombie. To me... Because he, he can write some good characters. We've seen it, and we're definitely going to get into that a little more when we delve into his Halloween sequel. But I just don't like the characters in this movie. I don't need the deep dive into Michael's childhood. Because, honestly, it's an upbringing that we could kind of have envisioned ourselves. Right. It's really nothing out of the ordinary. Like, he has a penchant for hurting animals, much like many young serial you know, blooming serial killers do. He's bullied. His mom is is not a good mother, obviously. She's putting him um, under the guidance of Ronnie when she's at work stripping. So it, it's nothing that's really groundbreaking. It's a childhood that we didn't really need to have spelled out for us. And it takes 50 minutes to explain it, almost half the movie. I also want to say one thing I hate about this movie in the director's cut, which is actually the easiest version of this movie to find these days. You and I actually I saw it in theaters. Did we sneak into that? Were we even I able to see an R-rated movie? Night. I think you went with three of our other friends. Oh, you weren't there? Yeah. Well, it came out in 07, so I definitely wasn't old enough to see it yet. I was about a year shy of it. But, but yeah, we snuck in, and apparently, I mean, I didn't even realize till years later that you can't even really find the theatrical version anymore. Mm-hmm. But the director's cut, man, there's a there's a scene in it where um, it's Michael's escape scene from the prison. It's a it's a very graphic it's rape scene. A lot darker than the original. Yeah, it's a lot darker and a lot worse because his escape scene in, in the theatrical I thought was was pretty well done. Exactly. Instead, they show this girl raped. I won't go into any more detail because it's not even it's not even worth specifying. That's all you really need to say. Yeah, it's a it's Rob Zombie. It's Zombie. It's like peak Zombie right there. Um, you know, the good things about this movie is, like I said, it's it's stylistically well done. I think Malcolm McDowell makes for a pretty good Loomis in this he movie. Does. He does. You also got Brad Dorif and Daniel Harris, uh, two really good bright spots of this movie. That goes to show you that Zombie can write good characters. He he, he chooses, chooses to go to. he chooses to go the other way far too often. There's not a lot of people in this world that act like Ronnie. Like, yeah, I, I know. I hope there not. are maybe some, but what are the odds that a hot step that a hot mom like uh, Deborah Myers would keep a guy like that around in their house? What do you think of uh, Laurie Strode in this movie? Not a big fan, if I can be honest, <laughs> and I think you already knew that. But I, right. I, I, I don't know, man. It's not really how I like my Laurie Strode. She's a little more flamboyant and like bombastic and over the top. Right. I actually think her parents are more believable characters than her. Right, I agree because they're uh, grounded. Did you know that uh, Emma Stone auditioned for Laurie Schroed in this movie? I did not. Would have been, uh, it would have been interesting. You know, looking at uh, Scout Taylor Compton, I can kind of see the resemblance in terms of how they look appearance-wise. The same age, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But no, I'm not a big fan. Um, you know, the, the Mike Tyler Maine in this movie, he's the scariest Michael Myers we've Definitely ever seen. Scariest. He may not be the best, but yeah, he is without doubt the scariest. Uh, Standing at six foot nine, he, he is menacing. Gigantic. I think he's a former pro wrestler. I think I read that on his Wikipedia. But yeah, I mean, he's gigantic. He plays a. I don't want to get into too much into the sequel, but I actually think he's a better Michael Myers in this movie than this than Zombies Halloween Two. I agree. With that being said, you want to move on to our next film because I think it that's a pretty good a segue. Lot. Well done. 
Yeah, we're going to move on to 36, and we're moving right back into Zombieland. We're going to Halloween 2, and this is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Came out in 2009. I think this is slightly better than it's his... It's the same movie, but mm-hmm. slightly better for some reasons that you might have. I think it's better because, you know, although it's a little bit of a bastardization of Michael Myers, it's not... It's not a bastardization of the 1978 original. It's 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 kind of zombie with a little more creative freedom, I guess. And I'll tell you right now, I mean, my biggest reason for this being better than uh, Zombies Halloween 1 is you get three times, if not more, the amount of on-screen from Brad Dorif and Danielle Harris. And if there's one shining star of these two zombie films, to me it's Brad Dorif. I agree. Yeah, uh, in the first movie, there's 50 minutes of explaining his childhood. This movie just gets right into it. You have Michael Myers for the whole movie. And this movie's freaking gory, man. Definitely the goriest of the whole franchise. Maybe one of the goriest of, of these 51 movies that we're covering. Do you like that about it, or do you think it's just too much for a Michael Myers movie? can be a bit much, but... He's uh, scary. He's scary for scary. sure. He's not wearing his mask much in this movie, or what ever is left of his mask it's he he's a he's a drifter in this movie he's got a long beard it's not michael myers per se the visuals and of uh, his mother and with the unicorn it's like well, that kind of throws me off a bit can we just tell it how it is that was in the movie just because rob zombie needs to have sherry moon zombie he is he is a good husband. I will give him that. Um, I think Scout Taylor Compton in this movie. She gets a lot worse. I know. I understand PTSD is a very real thing. I'm not going to act like I know a whole lot about that. But I think when you're putting it into portrayal on the big screen, you can take a look at Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween H2O, where she clearly had PTSD, but it was understated. Right. Um, and she was kind of finding relief in the bottom of a bottle or whatever. And I just don't think the deep dive into Scout Taylor Compton's Laurie Strode into her anxiety and depression and paranoia, I just think it comes off as too much. And again, it's just, I think it goes back to Zombie overwriting this character. Definitely. What do you think of Loomis in this movie? Because he is a lot different in 07. Now, I know a lot of people don't like him. I'll put my two cents yeah. on Loomis. I I like him in this movie. I think it's like a realistic approach to this movie. The fame has gotten to his head. He, he wrote a best-selling novel. He did his own thing. Malcolm McDowell did. Uh, I kind of like him in this movie. He's kind of an asshole. He, he does die at the end of this movie, right? Because I know in the director's cut... And the theatrical, I think it, he has different a different fate. Well, that's that's the thing about his character. It's um, it kind of comes full circle. It's probably pretty good development on Zombies End because Loomis is a money grabbing asshole in this mm-hmm. movie. Yes, but then he kind of comes full circle and sacrifices himself and realizes his mistakes, and he essentially saves Laurie Strode's life. So I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think no. it was maybe a little bit over the top in parts where, like, he was demanding his assistant to get him a cup of tea or something like that. And it was just kind of, right. it just kind of came off as silly, but it was. maybe that was the intention. I don't know. I mean, like I said, to me, Brad Dorf, by far the best moment in these two uh, zombie Halloween movies are, although it's it's pretty sad, but when Daniel Harris dies and Brad Dorf finds her, which is his daughter in the film, right. Annie Brackett. Especially after what they went through in the first movie with her just barely surviving. It's such a good scene. And Brad Dorif, Brad Dorif shines. I almost think his performance, like, like he was too good for this movie. I, I almost feel that knock, way about it. Right. I don't want to knock on uh, Charles Cyphers, who played Lee Brackett in Halloween 1 and 2. But mm-hmm. I think Brad Dorif pulls off it better Lee. Did you know? Um, did you know Brad Dorif had that type of acting chops no, in him? No, not at all. Maybe. Well, he... Um, um, is an Oscar-nominated actor. For what? Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. Uh, but, you know, that's 1974, I think, that came out. But, no, he, he definitely has that range. Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. And like I said, I almost think he's too good for this movie. But, uh, to me, he's pretty much the sole reason. And a little bit more Danielle Harris doesn't hurt either, especially as a big Halloween fan. To me, those are the two reasons why this movie's better. Do you have any other reasons other than that, or do you want to move on? 
Tyler Main stays scary. He's the second actor to reprise his role as Michael Myers behind George P. Wilbur, and eventually James Drew Courtney and Nick Castle will be the third whenever Halloween Kills mm-hmm. uh, comes out. But um, Tyler Main is very good once again. Still scary. Just as a recap to these two zombie movies, do you feel do you feel that you go back to them very often? Not at all. No, yeah. I've seen these movies maybe both a handful of times. The second one's also pretty hard to find. They don't really make it accessible. Okay, so we are going to number 35 on our list, and we are going back to the backwoods of Texas. We are going into Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, obviously the third installment in the Texas Chainsaw franchise. This movie is more forgettable than it is bad. Probably the most forgettable movie on our list of 41 to 31. It's what I call a nothing movie. Uh, it's not bad enough to bash, not really that good enough to praise. The torture scenes in this movie with the dinner parties, everything we've seen before. There's no chase scenes that stick out. The family is forgettable. If I didn't know that it was uh, Viggo Mortensen, then I wouldn't have known any of their names or care to remember any of their names. They're at least better than the family we get in Next Generation. <laughs> I agree. You know, at least they're a little more subdued. But they're forgettable. You remember yes. the family in Next Generation for I'll, being batshit crazy. I'll give you that. This movie is just very cookie-cutter slasher. You know, it, it, they don't – no risks at all with this movie. Plays by the rules, definitely. Yeah. For sure. Ken Foray is pretty entertaining in this. He carries this movie, in my yeah, opinion. For sure. Because he definitely kind of combats a really weak – male protagonist character in Ryan. Even a female lead. She kind of goes hand in hand with this movie, you know? It's like a so-so final girl for a so-so movie. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels right. Everything is so average about this movie other than Ken Foray, and I actually think um, the portrayal of Leatherface by R.A. Mihaloff? Yeah, it's, it's not that. Last it's name. not bad. No, um, it's, it's a stupid mask. I think, but he plays um, a pretty good Leatherface. Uh, the fight scene in the pond with him and Ken Foray, uh, pretty good. Probably pretty the good best part. Scene. Might be the best part about the movie. Yeah, with the uh, chainsaw going up and down yeah. through the water is uh, really well shot. Yeah, he, he plays a decent Leatherface. Uh, fans saw this movie. They ranked it at 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. Critics, 19%. was a low-budget movie made at $2 million. Uh, fans did not come out to see it. Made only five point seven million at the box office, which makes me wonder why they ever made Next Generation when this movie bombed. Well, this is similar to the. Um, so, Curse took about six years between films from five to six, and this was actually the same way, right? Next Generation came out about six years after this. This yeah. came out in what ninety? This came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a big gap between uh, Texas Chainsaw two. To Texas Chainsaw 3 to Texas Chainsaw Next Generation, about four or five years in between each movie, which is very strange. But You know, I'll watch this movie again a lot, probably, mm-hmm. but it's not a movie that I'm going to be pulled toward. No. Uh, there's a moment where Leatherface does get a pretty badass chainsaw. It says Ch- Saul is family, right. I believe. And it's like a golden chainsaw. That's pretty sweet. But also, on the flip side of that, Leatherface has a goddamn daughter in this movie. Yeah, when they hint at that, it's like, what, what did he just say? It's not, yeah. So Viggo Morton says, oh, and he makes a pretty cute daughter, too. Yeah. And, uh, I definitely had to do a double take. Was, oh, my God. Shout um, out to Ken Foray for saving this movie. Without without him, my God, this is This, this prob- would be in the 40s. Yeah, for sure. He makes it um, entertaining. Uh, he also was in Rob Zombie's um, Halloween. Yeah, he was big, uh, big Joe Grizzly, the guy, yep. the guy dropping a deuce when yep. Michael Myers. And he's actually really good in that movie too. He's that, that's a funny scene. And when he's next to Tyler Maine, he puts up a good fight. And just like in this movie, he puts up a good fight with Leatherface. So shout out to Ken Foray, and I think on that we can probably stop talking about this movie because it's about, just man. so ungodly forgettable. Not bad, not good, it's whatever. Which is why it's. You know, it's where it's at. It's rank number 35. Let's go to number 34. And unfortunately, I got to talk about our boy Don Mancini again because we're back in the Child's Play franchise. I'll tell you right now, this might be the most controversial one yet because people do like this movie, especially critics. It has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm talking about 2017's Cult of Chucky, 
which was a direct to Netflix release. Give me your initial thoughts on this because you saw this before I did, Mike. And then I saw it after you, and I already knew what you thought about it, and I knew you. I knew you didn't care for it much. And I remember walking away thinking, ah, he's crazy. It's not that bad. It's not as good as the, as the prior one, but it's not bad. And now that I've seen it a couple more times since, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much on your, on your same wavelength. Starts off, I think, actually really well with Andy at uh, his uh, dinner date. You see how he's still scarred, you know, from his history with Chucky. And it's a movie that's well shot. Mancini does a good job with, uh, like, cinematography. It's a pretty movie. It's nice to look at. It's just such a stupid plot. It's hard to follow. It doesn't have the worst characters, but when you shoot a movie in a mental hospital, there's only so much range you can get with these characters, and at the end of it, they're all crazy. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but this might be the most convoluted movie on our list after... Freddy's the, Dead. Or I, I was going to say The Dream Child. They're both dream pretty... Dream Child, right. Because the Dream... Okay. I can't even follow The Dream Child. Dream Child is definitely... Yeah, I agree. And you're when, right. you're, when you're in, like, Dream Dream Child, Freddy's Dead territory, I hate to do it to you, Don Mancini, mm-hmm. but it's true. It's just... A, it's a movie that's hard to follow. And, my God, he made Seed, which is not good. No. And then he made Curse. I don't know what he learned from Seed to Curse that allowed him to make a really effective, scary child's right. play movie. And then to come out with something that is really as big as a mess as this, it's a it's a really, he, he kind of dove off a cliff again. Right. Um, I mean, this is the one movie I'd really like to hear back from people that are listening to see what they think of this movie. Because, I mean, it's a polarizing it, movie. It really is. I mean, like you said, it's a 78 on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's got a 46% um, audience score. Me and you are obviously agreeing with the audience here. But I wonder what the critics saw in this movie. Like, I, I feel like critics are too afraid to say that they don't follow a movie. It's, like, you right. know, hard to follow. Because that's how I felt watching this. And maybe they saw um, it's very stylistically well done. Like It is. Uh, the entire movie is almost all white. Like, cause it's white walls and with the white lights and the white, even the white snow on the outside mm-hmm. in the, in the outside, it's very white, which is all it, it's, um, it, it makes the viewer delirious and disoriented a little bit, yes. which I think is probably an effective use in a slasher film. I hate what he did with Fiona Dorff in this movie. She was a great final girl mm-hmm. in the curse of Chucky. And because of her PTSD and her being in this institute, She's just not the same. She's not that strong-willed final girl. She's kind of a shell of herself. And then toward the end of the film, I don't know if we sh- I don't know if we should be prefacing this by saying spoiler alert, but if you haven't seen any of these movies, it's probably your fault for listening to these, this podcast. But when Charles Lee Ray, uh, I guess, overtakes her body, mm-hmm. she's pretty bad. That's bad acting. It's bad acting because uh, she, she's trying to mimic her father's Charles Lee Ray voice, the right. accent, and it's it's not good. It's not good at all. I don't. I don't like it either. I'm actually glad you brought that up because I didn't write that down in my notes. But I remember watching it, kind of cringing. Brad Dorf is given a lot in this movie, especially in the third act when Chucky's kind of taking multiple mm-hmm. forms, um, and he's given a lot of lines. And again, I mean, that's this is the uh, this is the Brad Dorf episode, I guess, because to me that's the best part of the episode is when they give Brad Dorf a lot of lines in the third act, even though some of the lines aren't great. Mm-hmm. I just love Brad Dorf. Brad, if, um, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on for an episode. Yeah, Brad, we love you, man. Come on. Hey, you can be the third host. You can be a regular. And this is the seventh movie of the franchise, and yet we always fall back on the, he's just a doll. Like, you're crazy. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, Chucky is obviously real, but yet we still have characters that don't believe. I, I, I just don't buy it. And, and you think Mancini would know better than right. to do that, him being Don Mancini. Yeah. He's just a doll. He's just a doll. Okay, that that works for the first and second movie. But. I hate that this movie took some characters that I really like and made me dislike them. Like I said, Fiona Dorff, but mm-hmm. even Jennifer Tilly in this She's movie, mm-hmm. she kind of says a couple things like, "Am I am I Jennifer or Tiffany? I don't even know anymore." Right. And I and I get, I, I get the campiness, but it just doesn't hit for me, especially because you're coming off Curse. She that had was a great really role in Curse. Yeah, it was I, great. This movie's just overly convoluted. I'm glad you alluded to the opening scene with Andy out to dinner uh, on a date 
to me, that was almost the most interesting part of this entire movie. I agree. And he comes back home and he smokes a joint with Chucky. Yeah. It's it's fun. Yeah. Um, But it's overly convoluted. It's bogged down with a lot of bullshit. A lot of, like a a voodoo spell that Chucky found online where he can take multiple forms in in multiple dolls. It doesn't have to make sense because it's a slasher film and we're talking about a killer doll here. But it's, it's just bogged down. It's overly complex. Jennifer Tilly, Andy, and uh, Fiona Dorf. It's just all one big mess. They, like, they're trying to... I see what they're trying to do. It's kind of, you know... But I don't buy it. One thing else... Yeah. You can see what they were trying to do, and that's a good point. It was a movie with a vision. It was a movie with some style. But it's very, very messy, and it's a it's a, it's a, a big decline from the prior Don Mancini film, which was also a straight-to-Netflix release. But I think this is a movie that we... That, me and you really wanted to rank higher, maybe high 30s, but yeah. it was well made, and it has some moments, um, so that's why it's at 34. I think there's a specific Child's Play movie that we haven't talked about that a lot of people would rank beneath this movie, Right. but you and I like that movie a lot more than this one, and that's all I'll say about that, and we'll move on. Let's go back to, I was going to say, let's go back to Camp Crystal Lake. That's not really true, because we're going to space. Although it is the Friday the 13th franchise, it is Jason X, and this is by far one, of, probably the guiltiest pleasure out Definitely. of all these 51 movies. Without a doubt. I'm not going to say it's a good movie. I am going to tell you right now that I love this movie. Well, this falls, for me and you, this was a blockbuster movie. We got home from school. It came out on a Friday. We had my mom run it, and I think we've been in love with it ever since. I wouldn't say in love because we uh, grew up eventually. You know how my parents are good parents and your parents too? Your, your parents let us rent this movie. Mm-hmm. My par- my parents let me be Jason X for like three years in a yeah, row for Halloween. Halloween. I love that they uh, they let us be who we were. We were like 13 years old, or not even, you know, trying to watch these slasher films, and they just they let us – they let us kind of be who we wanted to be. And that's I'm pretty sure cool. if they ever watch this movie, they go, "What the hell are we watching? Like what that, the hell are we letting our sons watch?" Like the like the scene at the end where they recreate the sleeping bag scene. Yep. <laughs> um, this movie was not well liked by many people. Twenty uh, percent on Rotten Tomatoes, twenty five percent audience score, uh, budget of eleven million, box office of seventeen. Not really much firepower there. You know what I love about this movie? Well, I like a lot of things, but. I'll say this. This might be the best Kane Hodder has looked. Yeah. Other than the very beginning of Jason Goes to Hell, but I'm not really counting that because it's for like 10 minutes. Right. But he looks so damn good in this movie. And I'm talking about before he becomes Uber Jason. You know, when they um, when they basically bring him back to life Even after the, he's frozen. Uh, yeah, opening scene where this, he's chained up. When he gets... He looks, yeah. he's like He's like a human again. You know, because most of Kane Hodder's Jasons were zombie. This is Kane Hodder as a human. And he looks great with the gray hair. Yeah, very old and seasoned Jason. I could get a lot of Jason. shit for this, but that, but he might be my. This might be my favorite Jason. Yeah, I might agree with you there. He's yeah. so vicious and aggressive. You just can't freaking kill him. It's literally impossible. So he's just slicing and dicing, and it's a lot of fun. He finds inventive ways to kill people. Maybe the best death in this franchise. I mean, gotta be top three or five. Uh, I I have it written down here as Go at for least it. top three. Yeah. Go for uh, it, man. No, you can explain it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's when Jason is basically bringing... They, they find him on this spaceship X amount of years later, and they're bringing him back to life, and the uh, the team member that is working on him has basically thawed him out, and they believe him to be dead. Him being Jason comes back to life. So he grabs her by her hair, and he dips her head into liquid nitrogen. That's what it is. Okay. Which essentially freezes her entire head. Instantly. And then he smashes her head and it shatters like like a freaking pint glass. It's one of the coolest things I've seen in any of these movies. And it's probably top five kill for not just the Friday franchise, but all of these movies. I think, and I think what makes it so cool is that it's Jason's first kill in 400 years. <laughs> yeah. He's been frozen for so many years and he comes back with a bang like that. I never understood. You know, this is obviously a, a, a dumb, silly movie, but... If you don't have fun watching this movie, I don't. You got to check your pulse. I think right. this, this movie's so fun. Yeah, you gotta, I don't think it takes itself seriously. The final girl is good. The the final guy, quote unquote, Brodsky, 
the guys are very badass in this movie. Yeah, it's such it's a movie with some cool characters, a couple over the top characters, but again, it's a Friday the 13th movie. What do you expect? But right. like for the most part, the characters are very well written and believable. Um, the robot in this movie, her fight scene with with Kane Hodder, her name is KM14. Mm-hmm. That's another entertaining fight. I'm not sure once he becomes Uber Jason, you know, the the space Jason, I'm not sure that's an idea or an appearance that has aged extremely well. Right. But I I still like it. I think for kids, for when that movie came out, like like us, uh, it aged, or it it was like the coolest thing to ever see to be like a nine or 10 year old and see a new Jason. Like like for us, Uh, that was like, oh my God, this is so epic. Right. Maybe it hasn't aged great. It's weird because, like, so we're putting this ahead of, one spot ahead of Cult of Chucky. Cult of Chucky is, like, a better movie, stylistically, Mm -hmm. and from a directorial standpoint. This movie's a lot dumber than Cold. This movie's just so much fun that I can't ignore (laughs) it. I mean, you know, this, I'll be watching this movie in 30 years. Oh, hell yeah. You know? And this movie was really only strictly made because you know there hasn't been a friday movie made in a while and they still had plans to make uh freddie vs jason so they had to make a movie to kind of just make some money right. and get his name back out there and they did a good job with it yeah and you know freddie vs jason would uh that that came out two years later so yeah it's there's some good campiness in this movie like when they first find jason and he's wearing the hockey mask and he's frozen yeah. they're like oh hockey outlawed in 2024 yeah and and here we are in 2020. So and we have no hey, we have four we have four more, four more years of hockey, man. So that's hate to, hate to break it to you guys, but Jason X predicted the future there. Um, but yeah, I mean, in short, this is just a blast of a movie. Kane Hodder is great. The kills are great. I just like this movie. And uh, the the characters are not bad. No. That's all you can ask for. Not for a Friday the Thirteenth movie. In fact, Brodsky might be one of the more overlooked heroes right. of, the fr- yeah. of the franchise. Yeah, the, the way he uh, sacrifices himself, uh, he, he's he, definitely a badass. He doesn't care about the uh, the leader of the ship, I forget his name, but that guy basically just wants to keep Jason for the money. Mm-hmm. And Brodsky's like, screw you, this guy's going to butcher us. And he takes it upon himself to, to try to kill Jason. Right. Um, and it's pretty badass. Let's move on to number 32. And this is a weird... Is a movie that's a little hard to talk about. We are moving on to Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I think I like this movie a little more than you, Mike. I don't, I don't know. this, And the reason I said this is a hard movie to rank is it's literally not a slasher film. So for anyone who doesn't know, I mean, Halloween, the original, came out in 78. What year did Halloween 2 come out, Mike? Halloween 2 is 1981. 1981. So after that, that was supposed to be the end of Michael Myers, and they kind of wanted to go into an anthology direction where a new Halloween would come out every year or so, but with a different plot. Michael like, Myers was not like, supposed to be... Like a Twilight Zone. Yeah, right. And so they made that decision before ultimately people demanded Michael Myers come back for part four. This was a movie that you and I despised as kids. I remember being at my parents' Pocono house watching a Halloween marathon on AMC Fear Fest, and this movie came on, and I swear to God, we got halfway into the movie, and we were like, Michael Myers isn't in this, is he? We were so excited to see Halloween 3 finally, because you talk about movies that are hard to find. And this was it. I feel like so much now, this movie's kind of been, it's kind of turned into a cult classic in a way. Big time. It's been shown a lot more, but when we were kids, you couldn't find this movie for the life of you. Look it up online, man. There are people that think this is the second best Halloween oh, yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 developed a big time cult status, and I will say, although it's not a good Halloween, meaning the Halloween franchise, it's not a good Halloween movie. It's a really good Halloween movie in the sense that it's a really good movie to watch around Halloween season. Definitely, it, and, it very much feels like a Halloween movie. And uh, you watch this movie, and um, you can tell the people that made Halloween had a big part of this movie the score is really well done and that's well done by john carpenter he's yep. one of the best to ever do it but it definitely feels like a halloween i think um cochran is a pretty good antagonist in this movie he's a he's pretty big, he's a pretty menacing villain the the witchcraft thing is obviously a little silly like they had they got a piece from of stonehenge to california 
a big piece of Stonehenge, which is a monument in England that really doesn't add up, and they didn't really explain how the hell that happened. Right. For criticisms, I'll get into my criticisms a little bit other than that Stonehenge piece. Tom Atkins in this movie, um, his relationship with the with the girl Ellie, who was the daughter of the of the man killed in the beginning of the film. So in real life, there's a 24-year difference. Right. And Ellie was actually 23 when this movie was released. I don't really understand the creative decision. He was almost 50, I believe, in it's, his mid-40s. It's weird. I just don't know why they did that. And, like... I don't get why she goes to him instead of the police. <laughs> I, it, like, that doesn't make any sense either. <laughs> well, that wouldn't make for a good horror movie. It wouldn't, <laughs> no. But why not make him a cop then? I don't know. Like, no, like, I agree. Like, did he have to be a doctor? And also, like, Tom Atkins, he's, like, flirting with nurse. He's just, like, a strange, horny dude in this movie. I don't – yeah, I think as a protagonist, he's he's a drunk. Yeah. And he kind of gropes his nurses. He's by no means, like, the perfect father. But I think that's – you know, it's – it'd be kind of – He plays into the movie a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's, uh, he's not the perfect guy, but not all protagonists are. And I kind of like the route they went with him. There's a couple gnarly kills in this movie, especially when the family dies. Very creepy. Yeah, and they actually show the snakes and the bugs coming out of the child's head. Like that, man, that kind of leaves a mark on you, especially because it's a kid. And I like, you know, there's a scene where they're, toward the end of the movie, where they're showing cuts from kids in different cities, all wearing the silver shamrock masks. And I think that's pretty cool because it shows you how, like, widespread and menacing Mm -hmm. uh, Cochrane's plan is. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's pretty cool. And obviously, not to mention the classic Silver Shamrock jingle that uh, nobody can ever get out of their head. It's it's imprinted in my head. But hey, it's uh, catchy. It's uh, the same tune as uh, London Bridge is falling down. Oh yeah, you're right. So yeah, I mean, th- this is a sci-fi horror movie. I like it. It's just hard to rank when we're ranking fifty slasher movies and then one mystery movie. I guess you know it's a thriller mystery. This is by no means a slasher movie. I'd say this and um, Leatherface are the two movies on this list that really don't belong. So I, I like this movie a lot more as a standalone movie than right. you do, and I think. That's how you have to think about it when when you're ranking this movie and when you're reviewing it. I like that small town feel it has. It does, yeah. It's you, um, a California town, right? Yeah, yeah. but it kind of feels uh, claustrophobic a little bit, like the walls are closing in because it's such a small town. Right. Yeah, it's... I like it a little bit more than Mike. I don't love it. Um, it is a movie I find myself going back to a little bit around Halloween time, just because of the whole, the whole mask premise, lends itself to the to the holiday of Halloween. This, you know, I mean, this brought in fourteen million dollars on a two million dollar budget. It's not awful, so it wouldn't be crazy to think if they decided to do Halloween four, you know, with the same concept. Yeah. And I always wanted to know what would have been their next plan had this movie succeeded. It's a movie, if you haven't seen it in a long time, like, you know, me and Mike just revisited it not that long ago, I would recommend going back and giving it a second shot. Because if you were like us and you watched it when you were younger um, and you were maybe taken off guard by the fact that it's not a Michael Myers movie, I think it's worth going back and watching. It definitely is. Because it has, it has some good things to offer, some good storytelling, some good kills. And again, some good, like you said, a good score, which gives off some good vibes and some good atmosphere. Let's move on. Let's go Sorry. to our last movie of this second episode. So we actually had three Nightmare on Elm Streets in our 51 to 41, and this is the only one of these rankings, films 40 to 31. And this is the fourth installment of the Nightmare franchise. It's the Dream Master. And this is definitely where... Although the comedy is better in this movie, this is definitely where things started to turn a little bit for Freddy Krueger. But this movie... I think that's where you and I disagree a bit, and we'll talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Well, to me, this movie, they do dig into the comedy just a little bit if you compare it to Dream Warriors. I know in Dream Warriors, he had a couple one-liners. Yeah. um, And I think it kind of dives into Freddy with his one-liners because this is the first movie of the franchise where he gets a top billing where Robert England has top billing and his one-liners are actually well they're Oscar worthy uh, when when you compare it to his one-liners in Dream Child and Freddy's Dead mm-hmm. um, like like the wet dream line is actually really good how's this for a wet dream oh that's a great kill it's a great kill that's Joey to, right to a good character too 
Um, I know me and you kind of were disagreeing on how the Dream Warriors were killed off in this movie. I think they did it in the right way, in like a respectable way. Uh, yeah, it was 20 minutes into the movie. But at the same time, you kind of have to start a new movie. And you can't do it if, I mean, like Dream Warriors is a really good movie. We'll talk about that. You can kill off the characters only if you're going to replace them with other interesting characters. And this movie failed to do that in my opinion. We get opinion. Alice, who sure really like... Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But in terms of killing off Joey and, and Kincaid, you didn't get a whole lot of... You don't of, replace them, right. Um, but, but look, I, I don't, I don't want to disparage this movie. I actually really like this movie. And I always wondered if Patricia Arquette had signed on to re- reprise her role as Kristen instead of Tuesday Night. Do you think Alice would have even been the final girl? Do you think Patricia Arquette gets another full yeah. movie as a final girl? I didn't even think about that, but um, I'm sure they definitely had to rewrite some stuff when, once Tuesday, they found out she wasn't coming back. Because Tuesday night is no Patricia Arquette. She is not. I know means she she uh, does okay, but yeah, yeah, she's definitely no Patricia Arquette. She dies 40 minutes into the movie, which is fine uh, because he, she hands it off to Alice and Alice is very good. But no, I mean, Robert Englund, um, you know, he's, he's given more to play with in this movie versus Dream Child and Freddy's Dead. And by that, I mean it, the good stuff. He's given some right. good material here. He gets some good kills. Yeah, he's not um, overly campy in this movie. Uh, his lines are good. Uh, I actually think it's like well shot too. Like the camera angles of Freddy in this movie are make him. It kind of adds like an extra layer of uh, spookiness. This movie is directed by Rennie Harlan. So some of you might know that name. He uh, this was his first major movie, and this movie actually got him to do uh, Die Hard too which is a big action blockbuster. You can definitely tell it's a well-made movie. The budget of this movie was $13 million. That's bigger than the budget of the first three movies combined. Wow. Um, and it brought in $49.3 million, which is more than the first three movies, more than Part 5, more than Part 6, and more than New Nightmare. The only movies to bring in more at the box office were Freddy vs. Jason and the remake, the 2010 remake. So this was a big-time movie uh, with a big budget, and I think they handled it well. It's the fourth installment, and this is my fourth favorite rendition of Freddy. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of fitting. Right. It's somewhere in the middle. I think now we're kind of we're at movie 31. We're going to have trouble finding things we don't like with movies now. I think we just I – th- I really think we just upped the ante a little bit with this movie. I, th- I almost feel like we just entered into a, a, a different tier. And I was texting you, we were watching this movie, and we were like, this is a really good movie. Like, are we sure we want to have it in this list? And then we had to, uh, you know, see what movies we had at 30 to 27 range. And we said, all right. Right. I mean, we'll keep it here, but now it's getting hard because we kind of enjoy every movie that that we'll be doing from here on out. Yeah, I really like this movie. Because Freddy is still scary in this movie, despite despite the inclusion of some one-liners and comedy. Like... You know, you meant you mentioned the one-liner to Joey, which is clever and funny. But when he's killing Kincaid, he kind of takes on a more menacing approach. You know, when they're when they're in the junkyard, and he's he says, "You shouldn't have buried me. I'm not dead." And only that way that a creepy Robert Anklin can say mm-hmm. it. And it's a it's a good ass line. It's a good it's a good scene. And, and it's a simple kill with his glove right to his chest. And you can tell Robert Anklin had some fun with this. Uh, because it's really a, a blend of both worlds where, you know, you have scary Freddy and then fun Freddy. Mm-hmm. And I'm not opposed to fun Freddy as long as it's not abused. And this movie definitely didn't abuse it right. with some good kills on top of that. Lisa Wilcox in an expanded role is good. Um, and even though Joey, Kincaid, and Kristen's appearances are brief, I still love to see them. I mean, coming off of Dream Warriors, it, right. was, it, was, it was, you know, very much a welcomed addition to this movie. I don't know if we like this movie just because we know what follows after this. Like, just like complete garbage. Part five and six are easily the two worst in the franchise. So, it's, I think we, like, we view this movie as kind of like the last good movie of the original. Because I think New Nightmare is kind of its own thing. Yeah. But this is a good way to end. This is almost like the um, Halloween H2O of. Yeah. Like the Friday or of the uh, Nightmare franchise. It's like, this is where it should have ended. I look at this movie as the Lisa Wilcox movie, not Dream Child. Yeah. To me. You know, mm-hmm. this is this this is the movie with Lisa Wilcox as the final girl. 
uh, even though Kristen hands off the baton 40 minutes in. But yeah, it's a good movie. I don't have, I really don't have a whole lot of gripes about it. The character of Dan is. He probably should have died in this movie. He should have. Instead, he died to kill in him child. off early in the next movie. So yeah. that's okay. He had a need for speed, right? Wasn't that's that right. the line? That's him. Yeah. All right, man. That's gonna. Let, let's go over these rankings one more time. So what we're doing today is this is the second episode of uh, Corn Syrup. We are ranking movies 40 through 31 of the six major slasher franchises. 40 was Jason Takes Manhattan. 39 was Curse of Michael Myers. 38 was Scream 3. 37 was Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, released in 07. 36, the companion piece to that movie is Zombie's Halloween 2, which was released in 09. 35 is Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. 34, Cult of Chucky. 33, Jason X, 32, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, 31, A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Dream Master. But yeah, man, this is the second episode. Again, guys, you can find us on Twitter at Corn Syrup Pod. You can, you can reach us via email. It's cornsyruphorror at gmail.com. In two weeks, this is a bi-weekly pod, so in two weeks we'll be ranking movies 30 through 21, and things are going to get really fun in those rankings because yes. it's a lot of it's it's a lot of pretty almost every movie it's a movie that we just kind of have a blast with, even though they're not with you know they're not flawless by any means, but they're and, a lot a lot of fun and movies. We'll still try to find something wrong with them. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll nitpick. Don't worry. Okay. But hey, guys, this was the second episode of Corn Syrup, a horror podcast. We are having a blast. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you guys are having a blast with us. Thanks so much, and we will talk to you in two weeks.